Hey, Dayspring friends and family, Pastor Matt here. Um, just recorded a sermon I did at King Street Church as a guest speaker, and I thought it came out pretty good, so I thought I wanted to share it. Plus, it is pulled from John 3 and 4, which is the chapters we are up to in the podcast Bible study of John. Sorry for the delay on the other episodes, but here you go. Hope this tides you over until I can do a better job. Till next time. Thanks audio. I'm going to open up with a verse and I'm going to talk for just one second, okay? In John chapter 4, verse 24 is the verse we're going to be working towards today. 424, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. I'm going to attempt to bring clarity on that verse today and what that means for you and what that means for your future. Attempt is the word. Amen? Um, For those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Matt Smith, Pastor Matt, some people call me. Uh, Many of you I do know from the revival meetings we we used to partner here uh, once a month and, and sometimes more often. Some of you from the River Church days, and I just wanted to say to all of you who I do know, I miss you, I love you, even though we don't get to see you. That's my girl. (laughs) I miss and love you all, and I don't see you as often, but you're always in my heart. And those of you who I don't actually know here, I still love you and wish the best for you because we're all on the same team. Amen? Amen. Amen. The, um, when I was thinking about what to share today, the Lord had me just, he put on my heart to share this one verse and how it has affected me in the journey of coming to understand what it means. And when I got saved uh, many, many years ago in uh, 1999, I think, 99, um, I began this journey And I saw something that day that I could never look away from. And I have a feeling that most of you in here have seen God, experienced God, felt God, known God to some degree, to such an encounter that you just, you know that you can't look away anymore. You've got to follow Him. Yeah? Yeah. But then I know that uh, this part does come to an end before I go into it at all. But I do know that in the beginning, there was a constant, constant struggle within me. Of knowing that God was good, but questioning, was I good enough to follow Him? Was I going to make it to the end? Yeah? And I, and I used to sit down and I used to read and I knew that I had seen Him and I knew that I wanted to be with Him. And I knew that I was reading these verses like i got to worship Him with spirit and truth. And I'm like, thanks Jesus, that doesn't even make any sense, but we'll just keep going. And I kept going and I kept going and I kept just living one day at a time. And I would read my, my Bible just frantically because I was trying to find the secret verse that was going to set me free from this struggle within myself. And I would find verses like in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy, Paul writes, he says, and this is an old man who has lived a life for Jesus. He's lived a life for Jesus. He's, he's been beaten for Jesus, uh, in prison for Jesus, starved for Jesus. He's been naked and abused and tortured and downtrodden and shipwrecked. All of this multiple times, all because he loved Jesus. And this guy, and, and he's writing at the end of his life, and he's, 
It's almost as if he's taking a breath of relief and he says, I fought the good fight. And I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And I don't know if that verse encourages you, but when I read that as a young man, I thought to myself, that's a little discouraging. Because if anybody should have been okay with their situation, it should have been that guy as far as his, his good standing with God. And it's almost as if he, he breathed this breath of relief like I've made it. And I'm like, I'm not going to make it. It was a poor thinking. I'm going to get there, right? Don't, buy, don't check out now and just think that's the end of the story. But as I went forward and I just said, okay, if this guy barely make it, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to make it. Because I hear that God is good. I hear that God is truth. I hear that God is love. And I want to be these things, but I'm not. I'm impatient. I'm, I'm not merciful. I'm borderline just flat out mean in the beginning. And I just, and I go through this every day. I'm just in this constant struggle of who God is and what I'm supposed to be and the reality of what's going on inside of me. Outside looking in may not have noticed this, how bad the struggle was, but the inside of me definitely knew. Yes? If you've never been there, just uh, hang on. We'll get somewhere else in a minute. But every day, and I, and, I, and I came to lots of conclusions along the way, and most of them were inferior thought processes. But I just wanted to take a minute to, to just say out loud the conclusions I got to because I feel that a lot of people come to these conclusions and sometimes don't know what to do with them. The first one was, God is good and He is merciful. And even though I don't think I'm going to make it to the end... He's going to love me for trying. And I lived one day at a time, one day at a time, trying to do the right thing, never thinking I was going to be good enough to do what God said I could do. Never thinking it. One day at a time, one day at a time, all the time thinking, what if this is, what if I don't make it? What if it's a waste? And I said, well, God is good. He's a good judge. If I just do all that I can, I st and then I started to pray. I said, God, cut me down right now if I'm not going to make it to the end. Wherever you think I'm going to get off the tracks and not come back, just cut me down right before that. I don't, I don't want to not finish this race. I'd rather cut it short than finish poorly. And, I, and he just he's, he didn't put any kind of comfort in my heart that he was going to do that. I said, okay, back to the one day at a time thing. One day at a time, I'm going to live. I'm going to do, I read my word and it said to be patient, that, that God was patient, to be merciful because God's merciful, to forgive because he forgives. All these things that I thought in the beginning, I was none of these things. But I was going to try. I didn't fully understand grace at the time. But I just thought I would try to do my best and that His mercy would be okay with that. And I began to practice things that I was not. I was not merciful. I was not kind. I was not peaceful. I was not joyous. I was none of the above, but I began to practice. I forced myself into uh, submission to being patient. I forced myself to go the long way and be okay with it and to run speed limits. God loves speed limits. You know what? They're to break impatient people of their bad habits. Yeah? God told, told in the Word, He said, to be a, he says, if you're a slave, be a good slave. If you're a master, stop with the threats and be a good master. I started to be a better, I tried to be a better employee, a patient person. I tried to give mercy. And I said, God, you are killing me with this, but I am trying my best, even though I don't think I'm going to make it. 
And then years later, and for me, and the time of the, how long it took me to get to a milestone, it's irrelevant to you. Everybody's on their own journey. But for me, about 10 years in, I had this, uh, this night with God where I was sitting there looking. And we were just talking. I was looking at the life we had lived together. And I realized something, that while the work was not complete, I was no longer simply practicing patience. I was becoming patient. I was no longer simply practicing mercy and forgiveness and things. They were becoming natural uh, expressions of me. And I said, God, I never thought I would make it because I wasn't good enough. And he said, you weren't. But I was. That's the grace of God. Grace is not to leave you where you're at. Grace is to change you into His image, to conform you into His image. Jesus wasn't the only uh, expression of God's person. He said He released a grace for us to be conformed into His image. Amen? And so as I began to practice these things and, and, and live in these things, and I was obsessed with hearing the voice of God, and, and I just wanted to hear the voice of God because I grew up around in the, in the Lord. I grew up around a bunch of prophetic people, very prophetic people. And I wanted to, to move and prophesy and do all the stuff they did. And I just kept, God, teach me to hear you. And all he would do is tell me uh, things like pick up that piece of trash, be nice to that person. Uh, don't do that. You do this for sure. Spend some more time over here. It's good for you. All he would do, I was like, oh, I guess God is training me with the little things is what I used to think. And then I would just, I would just do these things and I would practice these things and he, would, uh, and he showed me how he was conforming me into these things because this thing is a struggle in the beginning for many, but that's not the end of the story. Amen? The struggle in the beginning, and the beginning can be as short or as long as you want it to be. But I promise you, there is a beginning where you crucify your flesh. Yes? And when that flesh is crucified, maybe it's progressive, maybe it's suddenly, then the spirit man begins to run. And that thing inside of me that I thought was, was giving me weird acts of obedience to pick up this trash and, and be nice to this person and do this thing, that's just God's goodness flowing in you and leading you into what is a good life. Amen? Does that sound like a plan? Yeah. All right. So, as I went through this journey and I read these verses and I, and I, and I, I had a whole list a whole sheet of verses that I read that I knew in my heart. They moved this thing in my heart, but I had no idea what they meant. I knew that they all connected into one big picture, one big spider web of, of this message from God that I thought was super secret. And that I just, if I just kept trying and reading and praying and living in, in, in one day, I just believed it would all come together and make sense. Amen? Lo and behold, the love of Jesus in our life living for Him. It is so beautiful and simple, it's almost scandalous when you see it. Yeah? People make it complicated so they can kind of control it a little bit, but Jesus came to set us free. Amen? And so when we're going to read out of two, two chapters, John 3 and 4, the importance of that is Jesus had one message on earth. Well, he had one message, and the cornerstone of that message was the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is at hand. And he spent his time on earth trying to show us that the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is within you, like David prayed. The kingdom is around you. The kingdom is good. He is a king of a kingdom. You, don't even, uh, you might not even fully realize how much you need a king until you realize there's a kingdom. 
And he had a lot of a uh, lot of things that Jesus said to tell us how to get into that kingdom. And here's the thing, if you've ever had a message in your heart and went public with it, if you only hang out with like minded friends who are at the exact same place in life in the Lord as you are, you can just speak freely. But when you have a message to share to many audiences, you learn to maintain your truth, but speak their language. And if you notice, Jesus is speaking to multiple crowds at multiple times, different societies, different cultures, and he says the same thing, but in different ways. Yeah, he's never changing the plan. He's just speaking to different cultures. Does that make sense? John 3 and 4 is a perfect example of that. John 3, he's speaking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a teacher of teachers, a wise and learned man who is obviously the Lord is working on, the Lord is pulling his heart, the Lord has made him uh, curious to this thing called Jesus of Nazareth. Why? In John 3, I'm not going to teach that whole thing, we're just going to do two verses, but in John 3 he says, we know that you're from God because no man can do what you do without God. So now he's got his ear. Now he's got his ear. And Jesus says, uh, this is what you must do. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, um, I'm going to need a little, clar- little clarity on that, Jesus, because I'm already old. Don't know about this born again thing. Cut the man some slack. He had three seconds to process that statement. We're still working on it 2,000 years later. Yeah, lots of language about the born again thing. And that's a fun, fun topic. And that's not what we're going to get too deep in today. But Jesus has given him in his own language, the entry into this kingdom. You must be born again. Verse five. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. That verse. We're going to move on from that verse, but don't ever don't ever forget the significance of that verse. God is not here to redeem bad habits. He's here to crucify them. God is spirit. And later we're going to find out that spirit is truth. And we're going to define that in a minute. But it is never an overlap between those two things. It's okay, as we discussed in the beginning of this, for most people, there is an internal struggle where you feel a lot more fleshly than you feel good and spirity. But it'll get there when you realize that those two don't overlap and you're made to be one and not the other. Amen? Amen. So he has told Nicodemus, the Pharisee, that you want to, you want to uh, see the kingdom, you must be born again. And he's like, what do you mean? He said, you must be born of water and spirit. If only we, uh, when I was young, I used to think, well, thanks, Jesus, again, still not super clear. Yeah? We get there. Amen? Verse chapter 4. In chapter 4, Jesus is now talking to the woman at the well. You've all heard this story. Hopefully, if you haven't, go back and read them all. They're all good. The woman at the well is a Samaritan woman. If you don't know much about the Samaritans, they are the outcast society from the Israelites. They are the ones that the Israelites kind of think are a little bit less than human. Definitely never going to be good. Never going to amount to anything. Worthless people can't even probably be redeemed by God. This woman seems to be the outcast of that outcast society. So maybe you have at some point in life, you can uh, you recognize what it's like to feel like you're in that outcast society or the outcast of the outcast society or anywhere in that spectrum. Jesus does not care if you're Nicodemus or that woman. The message never changes because the grace is sufficient for all men. Amen. 
And he's talking to this woman and he's come to her and he's, come, he's gone out of his way to find this woman, to meet this woman at this time because he needs his message to be in her town too. And he says to her in uh, verse 14, But whoever drinks of this water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What did he just tell Nicodemus in the last chapter? Born of water and spirit. Now he's telling her at the well, he's saying, if you drink the water that I give you, I'll put a water in you that will become a spring forth, a fountain of everlasting life. Yeah, sounds like we're getting on a message here on a theme, right? The water, the river of life. Yeah, we're going to get there. Hang in there, guys. I didn't know y'all were so Protestant. I thought this was a Pentecostal church. <laughs> Sorry, it's just a little joke from Lynchburg. We do a lot of those jokes. Sorry. The, uh, must be born of water and spirit. He's, now he's going to put a water in you that's going to become a, a fountain of living water. Yes? I think the mistake that a lot of people make, and I know the mistake that I made when I was young, is I thought that one day this, this raging river of Jesus' life was just going to pop out of nowhere and, and bulldoze me. But he didn't even say he would do that. He said he would put within you a little water that would become a fountain of everlasting life. Amen? You've got to walk in it. You've got to celebrate it. You gotta go, and the further you go, the deeper it gets. The broader you know that y'all have rivers down here. I live in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Amherst. You know what these rivers look like where I'm from? A little puddle in the ground. It's looking like a spring coming out the mountain. It looks like a hole in the rock where there's like rainwater collected, only it keeps running out like it's not collecting. It's coming from somewhere. And it's coming out and it trickles down the mountain and then another one trickles down and, and they start coming together and they get bigger and bigger and more and more join. And by the time you get here, it's a river. We call them rivers there, but they're not. They're just creeks. Yeah? That's just nature. God gave us lots of things in this world to teach us these lessons. Yes? Amen. So these little rivers, these little springs inside of us become fountains of everlasting life. It's a beautiful thing. For me, it did not happen overnight. I think that God's grace is sufficient, but it just, I was a bad partner with that grace, I believe. And it took me years and years to even come to the realization that God is doing it all. It is His grace. And if we would just say yes and respond to Him and live in His ways, because flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit, and He can't bless me in the flesh life but so much because I might mistake that for affirmation for the wrong things. So He's in His ways and we're in our ways, and we just come to that conclusion and live in His ways, it is good. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Yes. Now get down here to verse 21. The hour, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming. And now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Because 24, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The hour is coming. That was 2,000 years ago. The hour is coming is now. And now is was where He was standing. We're in this season of humanity where the Father is looking for those worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and truth. He wants to put, excuse me, He has put within you a living water that's meant to spring forth and become an everlasting life. A river of life flowing out of your heart. Amen? He wants people to worship Him in spirit and truth. Just a real quick little crash course here in uh, 24 is a good example. Uh, In your Bible, if it's like my Bible, it says God is spirit, uppercase S, and later on it says worship Him in little little S, spirit and truth. Uh, They decided when they translated the Bible that on context clues, they would uh, use the uppercase S to indicate the Holy Spirit and the lowercase S to indicate man's spirit. Because we are made in body, soul, and spirit, right? Three parts, body, soul, and spirit. The significance to that, and this is a longer thing in itself, but I'm not going to do it. The significance of that is the body part, you got that. That's easy. Soul and spirit. What's the difference? Your soul side has, uh, uh, it's, your, it's like your person. It's your um. It's your bad experiences, your good experiences, it's your, it's your thought life, it's your flesh. It's all of that is in your soul side. It is what you are. It is where uh, generational curses and blessings, it's where they come from and reside and get broken if need be and new ones start. It's the soul side. It's the, it's the personality. It's that side of you. The spirit side of you is the part of you that God put in you to drive you. It's the part of you that comes from Him. In in Ecclesiastes, it says that God has put a spirit in you from heaven. And and, and he says in Jeremiah, he says that he, He knew you before He formed you in the womb. There is something inside of you that comes from Him that's desperately trying to get you back to Him. And there's a part of you that barely deserves to be along for the ride. But if you will take that part of you with it, it will transform it and there will no longer be dual suke, a double mind. There will no longer be a tug of war between flesh and spirit. There will be a one inside of you that is walking as a conformed soul. Yeah? yeah? We're saving souls, correct? So we're going to follow this thing inside of us and it cannot lead us astray because Jesus cannot put you in the ditch. He only gets you out of it when you put yourself there. Amen? So if you've got this thing inside of you that's meant to drive you back to Him and now He wants you to worship Him in spirit and truth and He can only lead you back to Him, right? Now if you'll just respond to it, the game is on. It's not always fun or easy or convenient, especially in the beginning. As you go down this road and give into it more and more, and the work that it's doing takes root, it gets more and more exciting. And when you want to go right with all of your heart, and that thing says, let's go left today. He was like, I don't know what I was thinking, but we're going left. Amen? Sometimes you figure out immediately why He wanted you to go to left. Sometimes you never know. But here's what you need to know. He never fails. Yeah? God is good. And if He puts something inside of you that was meant to guide you, direct you, and lead you back to Him, why did He tack on and truth? Spirit and truth. Those are almost synonymous if you see them properly. 
But he put them both in there so there'd be no confusion. Because the heart of man, especially when it's not completely conformed by God, it has a tendency to want to make its own rules. It has a tendency to want to make its own truth. Its own reality. And it'll say it's responding to God one day and then it'll say it's still doing it the next day. But the Bible says it ain't. Because this thing is written truth. This thing is a written expression that will never change of God's reality and God's truth. Here's an easier way to look at it. Truth is God. Truth is righteousness because God is righteous. He's a righteous king. He's the God. He is righteousness. Romans 1.18 says that the, the wicked ones suppress the truth in all of their unrighteous deeds. So if this thing inside of you, this spirit that comes from God that's inside of you is meant to lead you, guide you, direct you, set you free, it's the thing that's going to hear from the Holy Spirit, I promise you. It's the thing that's going to always know what to do. It's the thing that will never lead you astray. It's the thing that will be, it will be telling that uglier fleshly side of you if it's still alive and will. It will be telling it, no, you're wrong. God didn't make us to be like that. God, God did not make us this way. God did not make us this way. God made us this way. And when your spirit says to do anything that you find in alliance with this, follow it. Follow it. It will bear the fruit of Jesus in your life. Amen. Because the Father is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and truth. Yeah? Because you can, you can believe that He came and not follow this thing. He said, I need people who will worship Me in spirit and truth. You know what happens when you begin to follow the spirit and truth that God had put in you and around you and for you? You know what happens? You go from thinking that God is testing you, that God is torturing you and He's making you be nice to mean people. You go from thinking that to realizing that He's changing you. And then you also almost simultaneously can look back and say, wait a second. All those times that I was an expression of His person in the earth around me, He was changing them too. He was giving them. Just like He gave me a chance to see Him in the people that I got saved around, He was giving other people that chance as well. And He was using me to be a conduit of Him to the world around me. Amen? And no longer are you this lonely, uh, lost soul in the middle of a sea and you're like, you feel like old, old Elijah sometime in the cave. You're like, I'm the last one standing. And Jesus is like, who are you talking about? You're the last one standing. There's, at this point, millions and millions and millions of us. Amen? Amen. And we're all adding to this river of life. Yes? yes. And it is good. So you go through and you begin to get transformed and then you begin to realize that you might even be extending a grace to the world around you that was once extended to you and now the world around you is starting to change. Is starting to... Why is that important? Jesus wants to cover the earth in His glory. All of the earth. Not some of it. Not just the certain types of Christians. All of it. He is going to be the King of all things when this is done. Yes? Yes? Amen. And, that, and then that brings me to this. In Ezekiel and Jeremiah, 
570-ish years before Jesus came, they began to prophesy what God's heart for humanity was. And He said, I will take out of you the tablets of stone, and I will give you tablets of flesh. And you will walk in my statutes, and you will keep my commandments, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Yes? Yeah. The game doesn't change. But instead of it being a legal binding contract that can be held against you, it's now written in your heart, guiding you, directing you, custom catered to you and your situation. It's saying, yeah, go be nice to that guy. If that guy's not nice, yeah, go be nice to that guy. Yeah. Amen? There's no legal loopholes. It's just in here now. Paul drove this home too with the Corinthians because this is what God was doing. He was putting in us A heart of flesh. Yes? And He would give us a new heart and a new spirit, it says in Ezekiel. And it says that He would be our God and we would be His people. What else do we have to live for once we get a glimpse of that? Amen? And I know that sometimes it feels like you're the only people fighting for God's purpose. I know it's easy to get there. We all know that's not true, but it is easy to get there at times in your heart. But I want to tell you this, that Ezekiel, one of my, uh, you hang around me enough, it's really easy. He's my favorite prophet. Ezekiel also saw in chapter 47, if you want to go back and read it, he saw a vision of of the new temple. Jesus later on said, he said, tear down this temple and I'll build it back in three days. Jesus brought the revelation that the new temple was within us. Jesus saw this, uh, Ezekiel saw this vision of the new temple, and out of this temple, in this temple was an ark. Uh, uh, I mean, an altar, excuse me, an altar. And on that altar, and if you studied the copy of these things on earth, you would have known that the altar is where they put the sacrifice of flesh and atoned it with blood. In this altar, inside of your heart, there is uh, a need for the atoning blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding it once and for all. Atone of our sins. And out of that altar in Ezekiel 47, from that atoned altar, there was this little thing of water that came out and went under the door. And he was, Ezekiel went out and saw it come out of the temple. And he came out and it was just a little splash. And then he went out a thousand cubits and it was ankle deep. And then a thousand and knee deep. And a thousand and it was waist deep. And a thousand more, it was over his head. And he said, you must swim across it now. And once it was a full-blown raging river, then he began to see fish living, swimming to and fro, trees popping up. And these beautiful trees along this river of life had fruit for food and leaves to heal the nations. And wherever the river went, the living things went with it. Anything out of the river didn't, didn't, didn't get redeemed. And it says that this water would dump into the sea and heal its waters. And so while now we're not just living for ourselves, now we're not just just responding to this thing like it's a little thing to just respond to the God of the universe in your heart. Now we're not just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it to become the river of life. Why? I missed this for many years, but in Ezekiel 47, it says, and from En to En El Galom, that the fishermen would stand along the banks and cast net and pull fish out like the fishes of the great sea. And for years I missed what that might have meant because it meant nothing to me. And then one day the Lord said, why don't you look up where they're at? And I looked up in Gede and in El Galom and they are old Israelite cities. One is on a river, uh, I forget how many miles now, forgive me, many miles upstream from the Dead Sea. 
And in El Galam is in another river on the other side of the Dead Sea. And he and I said, my God, it's on the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. There's just death and destruction. And it, it is so salty that the things don't even go to the bottom. There, it's, it's, I don't know if you know a lot about the Dead Sea. Look it up. It's bananas. And then the Lord put it on my heart that he said, I created my people to become a river of living life that would flow through the Dead Sea of humanity and heal the waters. So no matter where we're at, no matter what town we're in, if people would believe in the power of God's ways, of His righteousness, that we would buy into the plan that Jesus came to tell us. He said, uh, if you want to uh, be children of God, be peacemakers. If you want to be merciful, you want to receive mercy, be merciful. He was telling Nicodemus, be born again of water and spirit. This message never changes, but we have to grab a greater measure of faith that it will work. Don't mistake this as being an overnight process. This is a joy to be somewhere in the process. God will take as long as He needs to take to get this work done. And it is a joy to be in the process wherever you find yourself. Count it all joy, I promise you. But God will heal this land. God will heal our land. God will heal their land. If the worshipers who He's seeking will respond to Him in spirit and truth. Yes? Amen. Don't let the wrong side of you mislead you. Don't let the wrong side of you box you in to what you are not. You were bought and paid for by a king who has the supernatural grace ability to change you into his image. Don't sell yourself short. Life of sin, nothing good comes from that. We all know that. But I don't even know that any of us, myself included, have fully grasped what can come out of this life. I think we're still, as humanity, we're still coming to this knowing of what God has for us. And I'm going to walk in what I do know, because what I have figured out is when I walk in what I do know, He shows me more. And when I walk in that, He shows me more. And when I walk in that, He shows me more. Because... I think if he had showed me too much in the beginning, I might have tried to circumvent and cheat it. But it was through that long process, he broke a lot of things off of me in the beginning. And it was ugly and it was awful because at the end of the day, I wanted to be different, but I loved who I was. And it was hard to put myself on that cross. But slowly but surely, with little things I trusted him, I trusted him to to crucify and, and, and remove certain things from my life. And then I realized he doesn't just take, he gives. He takes away the flesh that is never him and he gives you the spirit that is always him. Amen? God is good. Don't be afraid to look within yourself and say, I see these things that aren't like him. Jesus, take from me the things that are not like you because I want to be more like you. Amen? I wish that I could have come here today and I, I, and, and I, do, I, don't, I do believe in impartation and things. Uh, I wish I had something to actually give you today, but I have nothing to give you today that you don't already have. Yeah. Today is a day. 
if, if anything happened today, I pulled out my little, my little cleaning rag and I cleaned the mirror that you're supposed to look into and see what God made you to be. Because the answer to every circumstance and situation is within you. And it is telling you what to do. And if you drop your preconceived notions and personal desires and trust Him. I've had numerous businessmen and personal experiences and all kinds of stuff where at all against all odds, this thing inside of us is telling us to do what logic would never do. And man, it works every time. Every time. Now sometimes you can give that testimony that following weekend. Sometimes it's 10 years later. But I have never seen a man who followed that thing inside of them not come back sooner or later and say, God knew what He was doing. Amen? So Jesus, we just come before You and we just say, we thank You, Lord, for the work You've done. We thank You, Lord, for giving us a spirit to follow. We thank You, Lord, that You didn't just give us a vague hope of truth that you gave us an actual truth. You gave us yourself. You gave us your written word. You gave us your spoken word. You gave us truth to be conformed by. Jesus, I just, I just speak right now that as people get alone with you, that their hope rises. The hope of the work of you in them. The hope of glory. That it rises. Let no condemnation come in for the areas that are in, in, in uh, disagreement with you, disalignment with you. No condemnation. Just a healthy conviction that there could be more for you. That could be better for you. Because God is good. We thank you, Jesus, as you're just ministering to the hearts of these saints. As they go forth, as they become these springs of water, fountains bursting forth like fountains of ever-living life. That they become the healing waters that flow through the dead sea of humanity. That when these healing waters come through, they breathe life. Breathe life for all to step into. We thank you, Jesus. We just release your peace right now, Lord. Release your peace in our hearts over us. Teach us, Lord, you said you told the disciples to go forth and release their peace in the towns, in the households. You said if they're worthy to rest upon them and if they're not in return back to them, Lord, teach us to steward your peace to such a degree that we can release it into a room. Teach us to steward so much of your peace, Lord, that we can not only be changed by it, but we could change a room with it. Calibrate our hearts, Lord, to stay in your peace, in the pace of peace, in the volume, in the rhythm. We want to be in the kingdom of peace, joy, and righteousness. Say yes to Jesus. Not just today. Say yes to Him every day. Every day when He's leading you and guiding you and directing you inside of you, Say yes and trust. In your name today, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Not sure what y'all do next, but. <laughs>